Well, today is our Tag Team Sunday. So here at Infused Church, we um, love to be able to recognise and develop gifts in, into other people. So it's not just about a few people that we get up here. We want people to be um, able to have that ability to be able to um, speak and do things that God puts on their hearts. So, um, so we have this morning a privilege of not hearing, of course, one speaker, but we have three this morning. So I'd like you to, or as each one comes up, I want you to encourage them and sit there with eager hearts and open ears and minds and just take in what they have to say and, and enjoy the experience this morning. And um, it's my great pleasure to introduce our first speaker this morning, which is Paul. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Pastor Jane. Good morning, everybody. Who's ready for the Word of God? That's good. I've got a good message for you this morning. Jesus once spoke of our enemy in these terms in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. One key strategy that the enemy uses to achieve this is through fear. Fear is one of the most debilitating emotions that we can experience. Fear can rob people from receiving eternal life, from those too afraid to accept Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, for example, because they are worried about what other people will think. And once you are saved, fear can rob you of God's plan for your life, which can have a knock-on effect on your family, your friends, your neighbours and your church. When we experience fear, we perceive that we are moving into a situation that isn't safe. And we can then be tempted to react in a way that brings us back to a feeling of safety. But often the trade-off is we avoid doing what we know we should be doing. The truth is, however, that fear often only is false expectations appearing real. We should have that on screen, Haley. That's okay. And obviously you can see F-E-A-R. But what we fear often never eventuates, which can be proven when we do indeed face our fears. However, giving in to fear can have significant negative impacts on our life. Bad decisions, bad choices, missed opportunities, procrastination, disobedience toward God and others in authority, relationship issues, a lack of joy, and so on. The fear of man is a particularly strong and common fear. Just ask me sometime. The first part of Proverbs 29, 25 says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare. You're in the supermarket 
You see someone in the distance that you don't that you do know, but you're afraid to go up to them. So you pretend that you don't see them and you spend the rest of the time in the supermarket watching out, avoiding them, trying not to bump into them. Don't you feel a little bit trapped? You see, when we give in to the fear of man in a way that's unique to the specific situation, we become trapped. But when we look at the second part of this verse, it shows us how we can deal with fear. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Note that the focus here is not on God taking away our feelings of fear. He may or may not do that. But rather, the focus here is on trusting God to keep us safe when we feel unsafe. As I was preparing this message, halfway through, I believe God clearly spoke to me in a dream. In this dream, I saw a huge male body lying motionless on the ground. It was dead. I wondered what this was. I wondered what this was. And then I realised it was a giant. And that giant was the giant from the story of David and Goliath. That was the end of the dream. And when I woke up, I completely forgot the dream. And as I was getting ready that morning... As I often do, I listened to the audio version of the Bible on my Version Bible app. I pressed play, and you'll never guess where the next section was. I kid you not, it was the story of David and Goliath. And then I thought, uh-oh, maybe God's trying to speak to me in this dream. So I had a look into the story, and this is what I saw. Goliath is the personification of... Of fear. And we need to see fear just like we see Goliath in this story. Yes, big, imposing, intimidating, but ultimately dead when confronted. And so I believe God gave me this dream because some of you need to hear this message. We're going to have a look at that now on the screen. Thanks, Haley. But in this case, To help explain the link between Goliath and fear, I've changed some things in red and made some edits. And I'll also be skipping over some less relevant parts of the story. But I'll read it out to you and just make some commentary as we go along. Now, the enemy gathered their forces for war. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. How many of you know that we are in a spiritual battle with an enemy? Fear came out of the enemy's camp. Note that fear comes from the enemy. Fear was imposing. I mean, Goliath was nine feet nine inches or about three metres tall. His helmet weighed 58 kilos, which is about as heavy as a child. And he had a pretty hefty spear in his hand. You see, fear can be very imposing. And we're on the next slide, yes. Fear stood and shouted 
to the ranks of Israel. Interesting, that fear can shout at you. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not your enemy? And are you not the servants of God? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill fear, fear will become your subject. But if fear overcomes him and kills him, you will become fear's subject and serve your enemy. This is quite profound. If we can kill fear, it becomes subject to us. But if we give in to it, we become subject to it and the enemy. Then fear said, this day I defy the armies of God. Fear's objective is to defy God. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing fear's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Do you get the feeling they felt trapped? For 40 days, fear came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Fear can be relentless day after day. David ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, fear stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. And fear attempted to intimidate. David said to fear, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. This is the key point that makes all the difference. When you face fear, it's the Lord's battle, not yours. As fear moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet fear. How's that for courage, eh? And maybe God wants us sometimes to run quickly to our fear rather than just drag our heels a bit because we can easily move us into procrastination and we just give up. David, though appearing to be not sufficiently equipped to face fear, simply attacked him with whatever he had and defeated him because the Lord was with him. So David triumphed over fear with only a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down fear and killed him. You don't need much to face your fears, just God. So, who is your Goliath that comes out from the enemy's camp to defy you of the life that God has for you? What are your fears? Can you see how they are impacting your life? Yes, your fear may appear big, imposing and intimidating. But I declare to you, from the word of God today, if you stand up to your fear in God's name and do the very thing that you are afraid of, you will strike it down dead 
because the battle is the Lord's and he will fight for you. Amen. Wow, good message, good message. So I'll just uh, encourage you if you're, you're in that moment of fear, if you're feeling trapped by fear or, or whatever, then uh, uh, just go to God and, and allow him to give you the tools to uh, be able to overcome that. And that's my phone, sorry about that. <laughs> Don't you hate that? Cool. That was the end of his timer, by the way, so... <laughs> Cool. Um, just want to uh, encourage you to encourage our, our speakers this morning and get alongside of them and, and uh, encourage them as they're speaking as well because it can be very, very daunting up here and uh, looking at everybody here um, and all your smiling, happy faces. So just go like this. Okay? Just, just, just practice. That, that's called a smile. All right, so that's very good. All right. Our next speaker is uh, a, um, a lovely young woman, um, and uh, I know that uh, God's got a hand, his hand on her and uh, has uh, been um, just, there's a prophetic edge to, to all of our speakers today, but in particular with, uh, with Naomi uh, right now. So I just encourage you that, uh, again, just lean in, take notes and, uh, and allow God to speak to you through each of our speakers. So let's welcome Naomi as Naomi comes this morning. Wow. What an honour and a privilege it is to be able to, to speak in front of you today and slightly nerve-wracking as well, I must admit. But let me just start by praying. Holy Spirit, just like in Acts 10 when Peter was speaking, would you cascade over all who are watching or listening to this message right now? May they hear your words to them, but may it go beyond hearing May they feel it deep within them, Lord, that their desire is increased to not only seek you, but to know you. Thank you. Amen. I believe that God wants me to tell you this morning that he wants to be known by you. He wants you to know him deeply and intimately, to know his heart, to know his voice, to sense his presence. If we go back to the beginning of the Bible, the earth was formed, God brought Adam and Eve to life and after they chatted with the serpent and ate from the tree that God asked them not to eat from, we read in Genesis 3, 8, it says, they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden and they hid from the Lord among the trees. And in verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Verse 10, Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. So just imagine for a moment being in the garden of Eden back in that time, but before the serpent came, before sin entered the world. And let's just pretend for a second that that didn't happen. And God comes to the garden and he's, where are you? I'm calling you. I'm here to meet with you. What do you think they would have, they would have spoken about? Could have been anything. Could have been absolutely anything. I'm sure that, you know, you could have chatted about your day. Maybe, actually, probably God would have said something insightful. Let's, let's be honest. You know, maybe you'd watch the sunset. But that's the type of relationship that God intended for us right from the beginning. But the serpent did enter. 
Adam and, a- Adam and Eve ate the fruit that they weren't meant to. Their eyes were open. They realised that they were naked. They felt shame and tried to hide themselves. Which if you think about it, it's kind of crazy. They're both the only people on earth. They're both naked and God made them anyway. But that's what the devil does and that's what sin does. The devil tries to make us think that we're not good enough. That we need to feel ashamed of who we are and what we've done. That we aren't good enough to be in God's presence. That God can't use me. But that couldn't be further from the truth. You were created to know God and for relationship with him. Jeremiah 31, 34 says that, speaking of, um, of Jesus, the greatest sacrifice and display of God's love for us, let I say. All will know him from the least to the greatest. He will remember their sins no more. The Lord invites you into a new future. Let your past be your past. There'll probably be things that we need to confess and repent. So deal with it biblically. Do it and just move forward. Yes, there may be repercussions that we need to work through, but God's not the one that's holding it over you. He just wants to know you and to be and he wants to know you and be known by you. John 15 verses 7 to 11, Jesus says, "If you remain in me and my words remain in you, that is if we are vitally united and my message lives in your heart, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified and honored by this when you bear much fruit and prove yourselves to be my true disciples." I have loved you just as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love and do not doubt my love for you. If you keep my commandments and obey my teaching, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy and my delight may be in you and that your joy may be made full and complete and overflowing. So what does it mean when Jesus said, if you remain in me and I in you, to remain in his love? And I felt the Holy Spirit impress on me that it's the awareness of the spiritual exchange that happens as we choose to position ourselves in him. Exchanging those negative thoughts about ourselves, those things that we hold on to that are not from him, maybe they're words that are spoken over us, whatever it might be. And letting him fill those, place, those places instead. Holy Spirit is in us and with us and God's presence follows us. But it's our choice to remain in him and position ourselves in the awareness of his presence, his authority, who he says we are and who he's called us to be. Not just to, just to know it, but to know it. To remain in him and to, to, to desire to sense his presence, his leading, to be obedient to what he is saying to us. Preparing this message, I really felt God stirring in me the importance of hearing his voice. Aligning ourselves in the spirit, living each day, not just on Sundays, with the awareness of his, his presence in our lives so that we can know what God is saying to us, for us and for others we come into contact with and be obedient to what, is God, what God is saying to us. Obedience isn't necessarily about all the things that we can't do. It's simply turning our hearts to hear what God is saying and acting on that. I'm not going to lie. I don't always get it right. Just ask my family. <laughs> but I thank God that he's patient and good and always gives second chances. 
There have been times in my life where obedience has not been easy or, or convenient. I remember a time when I was in a, in a really big rush um, to pick the kids up from school. I was running late. And as I was going through the playground, there was a piece of rubbish that was on the floor. And I felt God say, stop and pick it up and put it in the bin. And I'm like, oh, my God, can you not see that I'm in a rush here? And he's like, pick it up and put it in the bin. So I walked and stepped over it and kept on walking. My heart was pounding because I knew it was God. So I went back, picked up that piece of rubbish, went, put it in the bin and continued on my way. (laughs) Oh, dear. There have been other times where I've been speeding and God's like, watch your speed. (laughs) That's one that's a a work in progress, I tell you. Uh, there have been times as well, more recently, um, I, went, I was about to leave to go and pick up the boys from youth and I, really, I don't normally take my purse because it's only just up the road that I live and I don't normally take my purse but I do know that you should have your licence with you when you're driving and I felt God say, take your purse with you. And I'm like, seriously, I need to get out the door? Maybe it's a thing about me being in a rush, I don't know. But I, I almost left and then I'm like, no, I really feel I need to take my purse with me. And as I was driving up Hurling Drive, there was um, a breatho station, which is never on Hurling Drive. And if I hadn't have taken my purse with me, which had my driver's licence in it, I could have been up for a fine. <laughs> um, there's also times where God's obedience has la- allowed me to experience some of the greatest joys in my life, though, as well. Um, I was on uh, a weekend away for a conference uh, with a girlfriend of mine and we finished the conference and we decided to spend the day at an island called Tangaluma. And it was just a day trip that we went over there for. And at the, at the evening, before we went to take the ferry back to the mainland, uh, there's these dolphin feedings. And so the lady, you know, that's telling you all about the dolphins with the headset on, she's like, oh, there's five dolphins that frequent these feedings, but it's very rare to get five. No, normally only four come. And I turned to my friend and I said, wouldn't it be great if there was all five dolphins here? And I felt at that moment God say, ask me for all five dolphins. So I'm like, okay. So I said, God, would you send all five dolphins? And what do you know? All five dolphins were there that day. So you see, it's in relationship that we get to experience some of God's greatest blessings. It's in being aware of his presence and what he's saying to us that we can fulfill God's plans for our life. I know that life can get busy and crowd out our lives. Believe me, I've got four kids, I work, I volunteer, I, I know what it's like. But we can sometimes get ourselves into this hole because we maybe it's been a little while since we've spent personal, intimate time with God. But let's not overcomplicate it. John 15, 7 says, If you remain in me and my words in you, That is, if we are vitally united and my message lives in your heart, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified and honoured by this. God wants us to be in relationship, but it's not just a one-sided relationship. It's a relationship where there is communion on both sides. It's where we listen to him, but he also listens to us. Sometimes we will sense what God is saying really, really clearly, and other times the clarity might not come how we think. But when there are things that are on our heart that we need answers to or we have desires that we're wanting to see fulfilled, it brings honour and glory to him when those prayers are answered. And in verse 11 it says, I've told you these things so that my joy and delight may be in you and that your joy may be made full and complete and overflowing. And that's also part of the relationship. We get to experience his joy and peace within us that overflows from us to others 
The storms will come, the challenges will come, but the Holy, Holy Spirit invites us into that relationship so that when those things do come, we are on solid ground, we can know that our future is set on him and we can declare God's goodness and what God says, what God is saying to us over those things until those things become a reality in the way that we think and in what we see. And as I finish, I believe that he wants me to remind you that he has such incredible plans for your life. Plans that are beyond your wildest dreams. Plans that will see you doing things that you only ever dreamed of. He has plans to use you to bring change to situations, to your family, but also changes that will affect the course of someone else's future and their children's future and the future generations. That's the kind of impact that God wants you to have on this world, on your world, as you journey through life with him. Thank you. good isn't it anyone encouraged this morning excellent cool our uh, third speaker this morning is a young lady who again uh, very strongly I believe uh, has a, a prophetic gift on her life as well and uh, has a, a wealth of life experience to to draw on so uh, how about we give Joe a hand as Joe comes and speaks the word this morning Tonight at sundown begins the most holy day on the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It is a beautiful time of prayer and worship, seeking intimacy with God and thanking him for his forgiveness. In Bible times, before the temple was, when the temple was still standing, it was the one day of the year that the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies and into the very presence of God. God told Moses that the priests were not to come into God's presence whenever they wanted, but he gave the priests instructions to follow whenever they enter the Holy of Holies. Otherwise, the sheer holiness of God's presence would strike them dead. But as the high priest approaches the Holy of Holies, he isn't filled with fear, but rather he is filled with joy because for that one day, that one moment he gets to experience the very presence of God. And then came Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies was torn in two. Jesus' sacrifice meant that God's presence was no longer contained to one place, no longer confined to one moment once a year. Now all could enter in. Anytime anywhere. But I wonder, has our access to God's presence made us take it for granted? When coronavirus shut down the church services, I was devastated. I loved to come and worship together, but we couldn't wait, meet. We couldn't travel. In some cases, we still can't. How many of us have loved ones, friends, family that we cannot see? My best friend is stuck in Melbourne. I haven't seen her for almost a year. Thank goodness for Skype and Zoom, hey? But it's still not the same. To hold them, to hug them, to be in their presence. 
what would you do to see them? Let me ask you this. If you could only encounter God's presence for once a year, what would you do to see him? What would you do to pursue the presence? If you've ever watched a war movie, there might have been a scene where a young soldier takes out a letter from his sweetheart back home. He opens it carefully. The creases are worn. You can tell he has read it a hundred times. Still, he holds that piece of paper as if it's more precious than life itself. Let me ask you another question. How many Bibles do you have at home? I have 12. Plus access to every translation right on my phone. But in some countries, people would die and are dying for just a page of this book. And all too often, all too often, I treat it like it's a chore and a duty. And not like it's the greatest love letter ever written from the King and Saviour to me. Did you come to church this morning to seek God out? Did you come expecting to encounter him? And if you don't get that encounter today, will you say, oh well, maybe next time, and walk out those doors unchanged? Or will you pursue the presence? Now please, hear my heart. I don't say this to condemn you or to make you feel guilty. It's not about how often you read your Bible. It's not about how many times you come to church every month. It's about the heart. Because it's not about I have to. It never was. It's about I get to. I was so excited to come back to church after COVID lockdown. I missed it so much. But what if the lockdown had lasted a whole year? What if, like the high priest, we could only enter God's presence once a year and we only had church once a year? I'm telling you now, I could not do it. No way. Right? You see, before Jesus, it was once a year. Except for a few special cases. And the one that has constantly come to mind over the past four or five months is Joshua. Joshua was Moses' aide. When Moses went up to Mount Sinai to receive the commandments, Joshua went with him. When Moses entered the tent of meeting, Joshua went with him. In Exodus 33:11, it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Did you get that? The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. In fact, so powerful were these encounters that when Moses came out of the tent, his face literally shone with the glory of God. So much it freaked people out and he had to cover it up. But Joshua, Joshua was right there with him. And when Moses left the tent, Joshua stayed. And so this story was playing on my mind over and over. Moses left the tent, but Joshua stayed. Joshua stayed in the tent. Joshua stayed in the tent. Of course, I had to look up the scripture properly. And when I did, something struck me. 
It was only a slight difference in wording, but it made all the difference in application. It said, Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Not only did Joshua stay in the tent, he did not leave. It wasn't, this is nice, I might stay a little longer. No, Joshua deliberately and purposefully did not leave. Joshua pursued the presence. When I was living in Israel, I experienced God's tangible presence in so many incredible and amazing ways. Some of them were through our monthly worship nights. And even from the very first one, I felt God so strongly that I knew I could never go back to what it was like before. I knew had what I had experienced previously would no longer be enough. And so as I knew it would be, it was difficult to return. Everything in Israel is so full of God's presence. There are constant physical and historical reminders everywhere. But there is a greater spiritual sense too. It's really something that I struggle to explain. It has to be experienced. It's sweeter. It's brighter. It's, it's like you were listening to music in stereo and then suddenly someone switches on the surround sound and you can hear every single sweet and beautiful note. Now, I know that God is everywhere, but honestly, sometimes I sit down with my Bible and my prayer journal and I feel nothing. Sometimes life's like that. Just things seem to get in the way. And I had one such moment about five months after returning from Israel. That night, I was really not okay. I had read my Bible. So what? I'd written in my prayer journal. And I just wanted to go to bed. Nothing felt right. I closed my Bible and feeling defeated, began to walk to my bedroom. But halfway across my living room's floor, I stopped. No, I said. No, it cannot end like this. I will not let it. So right where I was standing, I fell to my knees, sobbing, and I cried out to God. Lord Papa, I know that you are real, but oh, that I might feel you again. And then I heard him speak. He said to my heart, here I am. Here I am. And suddenly I felt his presence again. Then what followed was a beautiful encounter with him. And I couldn't go to bed. Just a few more minutes, Lord. You see, I could have given up that night. But I did not leave the tent. God is always, always there. But sometimes he's just waiting for us to pursue him. In Psalm 84 verse 10 it says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Better is one day. It used to be one day. For only one day of the year, one man, the high priest, could enter God's presence. Jesus' sacrifice changed everything. Now it's any time, any day. It's here. 
It's now. But will you stay in the tent? And like Joshua, not leave until you encounter God. Pursue the presence. Father God, we thank you for your presence, Lord, with us. Father God, we thank you that you are here. And Lord Jesus, through your sacrifice that we could come to experience you. Not as a distant, angry God that we must fear, but as a friend. Thank you, Lord. I want to speak to anyone here today if you haven't experienced God like that before. He is here. He is waiting for you. And so if you do want to have that encounter with Jesus, if you do want to give your life to him, you can just take that moment now to say, God, I want to feel you. I don't want to do things my own way, but I want to experience and do life with you. So if there's anyone here like that, I just want you to have the courage to raise your hand so so I can see and we can pray with you and get some resources into your hands. If you're on the watching online, drop us a comment, contact us so we can um, pray with you, get some resources to you as well. But I also want to speak to people here who may have been a Christian like me forever. God is waiting for you to give you a fresh touch. How high, how wide, how deep is his love? There's more. There is always more. If you just stay in the tent and don't leave. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. How good's that? How good's that? There was a, uh, I just felt like a link between each of those messages then. And I had no clue on what they were going to talk about. It was, it was a free shot uh, they get to, to talk about. Because what I wanted to do was to encourage them in their gift. And I didn't want to give them a, a specific topic. I wanted them to feel comfortable in what they were talking about and I felt like just as I was sitting on the front row that there was a theme running through that it doesn't matter about the fear that's in our world because God wants us to to know and be known by him so that we can completely and confidently pursue his his presence overcomes fear he wants us to know him and to be known by him And he wants us to make a choice, a conscious choice. Coming and pursuing him, his presence, his goodness, his grace and his life.